January and and Jillian. <laughs> Happy Sabbath, friends. Have you been moved by the power of God's love? You know, there's a verse that I like to claim every single day as often as I remember it. It's in Psalm 143, verse 8. It's a very simple prayer. And David prays, Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. In other words, sometimes there, there are, there's a deafness of our own hardness of heart, uh, the dullness of our ears. But David prays that we would hear the loving kindness of God in the morning. The reality is that God's mercies are new every morning. And sometimes we're just not receptive to that. But today, today I am thankful that we are gathered in God's house. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 56, and then Jesus quotes it himself, my house shall be called a house of what? A house of prayer. That's right. A house of prayer for all nations. Amen. Everyone is invited to the throne of God. And you know, um, what I, over the last few weeks, we've been focusing on, on who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, how we can ready ourselves and be more receptive to the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In the last few weeks, last two Sabbaths, we've been asking God, teach us how to pray for the Holy Spirit. And so right now, what I'd like to do, just even before we get into our Bible study this morning, what I'd like to do is just give us a, a chance to pray. This is a house of prayer, amen? And so you may not know the person next to you. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself. The reality is that, that ministry doesn't happen one way, Amen. It doesn't just happen from stage to pew or from pulpit to pew. It happens from member to member, life on life. And so what I'd like to do just now is open up a few minutes where we can just uh, scoot next to somebody if we need to and just pray for one another. Can we do that? Pray for each other, lift each other up in prayer. Um, maybe there are burdens you want to pray about. Maybe there are praises you want to celebrate together. But go ahead and find someone next to you that you can just pray with for the next few minutes, all right? Ready, set, go.
most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Savior, I come to Thee. Father, this is our very real confession today. We are in deep need of You. We are thirsty for Your Holy Spirit. God, some of us have been running on fumes all week, and now we just, we put ourselves under the, the fount of every blessing. And we ask, God, that you would do a work that only you can do. Lord, we thank you for opportunities to gather as a church family to support one another, to bear each other up. We just recognize that that's a gift from you. And so, as we open up the Bible, we ask that you would break the bread of life for us. God, I thank you that you have uh, designed that in this time together, your word would go out and it would accomplish the purpose for which you send it that it would not return to you void. And so we give you permission that in the name of Jesus, you would send us the Holy Spirit. Please guide us into all truth. We pray in Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. We've been asking for rain. Amen. <laughs> that was really gratifying. <laughs> to see the rain come down this week, that was just a, a token from heaven to me. Last week, we, we spoke about it. We spoke about the early rain and the latter rain, and we prayed for rain, not just the physical rain, but the rain of God's Holy Spirit. And I just thought that that token of rain clouds coming was really an affirmation that God wants to pour His Holy Spirit in our thirsty lives. Now today, we are starting something in this month of March. Wow, it's March. Happy March, everybody. We're starting something in this month of March where now we are asking the question, okay, if we are receiving the Holy Spirit, if we are praying for the Holy Spirit, what or how would the Holy Spirit's presence be revealed in our lives? If God is doing something inwardly, how is that going to be revealed outwardly? And so this morning's message is revealing the presence of the Spirit, part one. All right, so throughout the month of March, we're going to be talking about that. But I want us to go to a text just to, uh, just to get things kicked off. We're going to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts is in the New Testament. If you find your way, the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. Acts chapter 1, and today I'm reading from the New King James Version. Acts chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible with you, there is possibly a Bible in front of you uh, in the pew there. So Acts chapter 1. And when you get to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, say amen. amen. Okay. Now you remember that the book of Acts is written essentially after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, and this is kind of the launching of God's, uh, the, the Christian church after the resurrection of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there is a very real promise that was given to the apostles, and I believe that it's given to us today too. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, But you shall receive power when what? 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses to me, or witnesses of me, or maybe your Bible says, my witnesses. Here's the truth. The promise is that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we become witnesses of Jesus. There is a cause and effect. When the Holy Spirit infills our hearts, the effect is that we will witness. And the apostles did this with great power. They, they, revealed, uh, they revealed the fact that Jesus was not dead. Amen. <laughs> they had witnessed, they had firsthand experience with the fact that Jesus was crucified, but the tomb three days later was empty. They could witness to the resurrection. Now the question is, how do people who haven't seen that empty tomb, who didn't see Jesus rise from the dead physically, how do we become firsthand witnesses of the risen Christ? It's as we let the risen Christ dwell in our hearts. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. There's this powerful New Testament reality. It's called Christ in you, the hope of glory. How can Christ, who took on flesh, when, who, who is now forever tied to humanity, how can Christ dwell in your heart and my heart? It's through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Do we understand that today? That the promise of the Holy Spirit is to actually let Jesus reside in you and me. And when Jesus resides in you and me through the Holy Spirit, that has to, that has to show through somehow. Amen? There's a story of a little girl who was sitting in church listening to a preacher, right? She's oblivious. She's just coloring on her children's bulletin or whatever it might be. She, she looks as though she's not paying attention, but she tugs on her grandma's sleeve and says, Grandma, did pastor just say that Jesus lives in us? Grandma says, yes, dear, that's what pastor said. Jesus lives in us. She continues to color as she continues to scribble. Later on, she tugs on her grandma's sleeve again and says, Pastor did, or excuse me, Grandma, did, did Pastor just say Jesus is bigger than us? Yes, dear, Jesus is bigger than us, a lot bigger than us. She continues to scribble, and just a minute or two later, she connects the dots and says, well, if Jesus lives in us and he's bigger than us, then shouldn't some of him show through? <laughs> Isn't it true? If the Holy Spirit lives in your heart and mind, then it's not just an inward reality. It demonstrates itself and gives evidence outwardly. That's what the Bible calls witnessing. We, we demonstrate to the We're walking billboards of the fact that Jesus is not in the grave. We are walking billboards of the fact that there is a risen Savior. He lives today. That he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. He is, a, he is our living Savior. So how, what, what does this really look like? How, when, we, when we're looking for this outward evidence of Jesus living in us, what does that really, really look like? Uh, I want to read a statement to you that I, I came across. It's in the book Acts of the Apostles. This same question is posed. She asks the question, okay, what were the results? What were the tangible evidences of Pentecost, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? 
And she goes, it's on Acts of the Apostles, page 48, if you want to look that up later. She talks about, you know, the message of the gospel being proclaimed widely. She talks about converts just turning to the Lord in the multitudes, in the masses. And then she gets to the bottom line. And this is how the statement reads. It says, One interest prevailed. One subject of emulation swallowed up all others. What is it, right? When the Holy Spirit fills you, what is that one interest that becomes everything to you? She says this, The ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. So watch this. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, they were consumed with one interest, and then she described two. One ambition and subject of emulation, and that was to reveal, to reveal who? To reveal Christ, and to reveal him in two different ways, through his character and through their labor. Through the likeness of Jesus and through their labor for Jesus. It's interesting that when you read the scriptures and you understand the function of the Holy Spirit in your lives, there are two major manifestations of the Holy Spirit through our lives. One is known as the fruits of the Spirit. The other is the gifts of the Spirit. Very interesting that these two things, the fruits of the Spirit deal with Christ's character lived out through us. The gifts of the Spirit deal with Christ's power lived out through us. Do you see that? Yes or no? Yeah, so here, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bear fruit and he will give gifts. All of which point to who Jesus is. All of which point. It's all about him, by the way. If you hadn't forgotten that, uh, it's all about Jesus. (laughs) And so the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and that's throughout this month of March as we take a look at revealing the presence of the Spirit in our lives. That's what we're going to take a look at. Today we're going to focus on the fruits of the Spirit. In the, few, in the weeks to come, we'll take a look at the gifts of the Spirit, how God wants to use us for ministry, what power He gives us to reveal Jesus, not just through who we live ourselves to be or how we live ourselves to be, but also by the ministries we place our hands to. I'm excited that, that Joel Mutre from the conference will be sharing with us about GLOW and how that becomes something that we are all gifted for. In, in future weeks, we'll talk about the gifts of the Spirit, how we fit into the body of Christ. But today, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. All right, are we together? Yes or no? Yeah? All right. So we're going to go to two significant passages. One is in Galatians chapter 5. The other is in John chapter 15. But first, let's start in Galatians. So find with me that New Testament letter, Galatians. So if you're in the book of Acts, just keep turning to the right. You'll find Romans, then First and Second Corinthians, and then Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to I guess you can lock your eyes on verse 16, but we're really going to focus in on verse 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. When you've found it, say, I've found it. All right. So we're asking the question, you know, how does this inward infilling of the Spirit reveal itself outwardly? And Paul, in this letter to the Galatians, by the way, if you have a chance to read through the letter of Galatians, it's really uh, fundamental to understanding the gospel. He's really contrasting the life that's in the spirit versus the life that's in the flesh. It's, it's a contrast between life that's, that's dependent upon my actions 
versus life that's dependent on the Spirit's actions. Life that's dependent upon my power versus life that's dependent upon Christ's presence in us. So life in the flesh, life in the Spirit. And now in Galatians chapter 5, actually we'll start in verse 16. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the, what's the last word? Okay, so he's saying, look, live your life in the Spirit. You've received the promise of the Spirit, now live it. Live it. And by doing so, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Two opposing sides, mutually exclusive, a very real dichotomy. And as he continues to list, he goes on to list in verses 18 through 21, he lists things that demonstrate itself to be more of the life of the flesh. That is, depending upon your own actions, depending upon your own righteousness, when in reality, you start living lives that are very unrighteous. And in verse 22 and verse 23, this is the key. He starts talking about what it's like when the Spirit, when you're actually walking in the Spirit. And he uses this analogy of fruit. Verse 22, the Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. How many of you would long for your life to be characterized by love, <laughs> joy, peace, patience, all these fruits of the Spirit. Now, what's very interesting to me is that all these things that we want, we must recognize that it is only as we allow the Spirit to take over. Only. So if we're striving to experience love and joy and peace and patience apart from the Spirit, friends, that's operating on the works of the flesh. We might have that spiritual goal, but we're still operating on the power of the flesh, and that's getting us nowhere. So it's only, it's contingent upon being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, excuse me, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What's, what's interesting to me is that when you read verse 22, my Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Is that what your Bible says? It doesn't say the fruits. Have you, yeah. Have you noticed that, that the fruit of the Spirit is really one with lots of flavors? Yeah. And one author has suggested that it's really, it's the character of Christ. It's love manifests through joy, peace, patience. Very interesting to connect this, by the way, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know the love chapter? Love is patient. Love is kind. Huh. All of those descriptions are a, a, a manifestation of what love really is. So maybe it's the, the fruit of love <laughs> with many, many flavors. Or maybe, maybe we could say this. It's the fruit of Christ's character as it's demonstrated through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Are we following today? Yes or no? Yeah? And this is an outward demonstration. This is how we, we see this, this fruit being born in our lives. And when you think about I just really appreciate Paul's use of that term, fruit. Because fruit, when you think about it, you know, I, I, we've got a, a tangerine tree now in the backyard of our house. Uh, in the previous house that we lived in, we had three apricot trees. Oh, juicy. Oh, man. Central Valley is blessed. <laughs> but um, the reality is that those apricots, they benefited me so much, but benefited the tree very little right? The tree was doing all this work, bearing this fruit, not for its own benefit, 
but for the benefit of those who would pick it. So when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, these fruit, or this fruit, I should say, it's really for others' blessing. It's not about ourselves at all. So when we bear the likeness of Christ's character, it's not for our own gratification. Let's get that straight. It's for others to partake of the fruit. So it's, all, it's, it's not inward-focused at all. Now what's interesting, we need to recognize, because, because Paul continues... And we need to recognize that this, this bearing of, the Christ, of, of a Christ-like character, this, this fruit of a Christ-like character, it comes at a cost. It comes at a very real cost. What does it take? How do we actually then bear this fruit? How, how do we allow the Holy Spirit to take possession of our lives? In verse 24 and 25, he gives us a little bit more practical edge. Verse 24, it says this, And those who are Christ's, what does that mean? You belong to Christ. Good, good, good. Okay, so those who belong to Christ have done what? Wow. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if we're asking, what does it take then to be filled with the Spirit? Remember, life in the Spirit is mutually exclusive from operating in the flesh. And so if we long to walk in the Spirit, we must belong to Christ via crucifixion. Consecration comes via crucifixion. It's a painful thing. But it's a powerful thing. Consecration comes via crucifixion. And that's uh, practical edge number one. If we're looking then to, to to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then we must be willing to let Jesus crucify self. By the way, crucifixion is not something you and I can inflict upon ourselves. I don't know if you've ever tried. Please don't. But if you've ever tried to crucify yourself, it just doesn't work logistically. Right? It just doesn't work. Someone else has to do it for you. And this is what Christ does for you. He puts to death that which would inhibit or destroy life in Christ. The other thing, go, go to chapter 6. Paul continues to, to use this agricultural terminology. In chapter 6 and verse 8, notice this. It says, For he who sows to his flesh... What is sowing? Do you, do you understand that, that word picture? Yeah, it's the word picture of a farmer who's got seed. Those who sow, right? The, the act of sowing. So for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. That makes sense, right? If we're sowing to the flesh, of course, that's what's going to grow. That's the harvest that we'll reap. It's a harvest of corruption. The last phrase of verse 8, but he who sows to the who? To the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Maybe you've heard that terminology, garbage in, garbage out, right? (laughs) Garbage in, garbage out. And this is what I imagine. What are we sowing to? What are we putting into our lives? What are we making ourselves available to? The reality is that each of us deals with this war against the flesh. And that's why the flesh must be crucified, right? Uh, um, I've heard when I was a a young person growing up, uh, I went to this uh, camp meeting and there was a speaker who was trying to, to depict this battle between the flesh and the spirit that takes place in each and every one of us. 
And he, he talked about it in terms of a lion and a kitty. <laughs> a lion and a kitty. If you put the two in a cage, of course, right? Who's going to win out? Right? The, the lion, obviously, obviously. But, but, the strength of the lion only depends on how much you feed it. Isn't this true? So if you starve the lion and feed the kitty, who's going to win out then? Here's the analogy that, that, that Paul, I think, is really getting to. So those who sow to the flesh, well, of course, they'll, they'll reap corruption, but those who feed the kitty, <laughs> those who sow to the Spirit, will reap everlasting life. So here's an intentionality. Obviously, you know, when, when we talked in, in chapter 5, verse 24, there's cr- uh, being crucified. Obviously, Christ is the one who does that. But then this act of sowing, that's something that you and I are responsible for. What do we feed? What are we making ourselves available to? Should we be surprised that we are not bearing the the character of Christ? Should we be surprised that we're not bearing fruit, love, joy, peace, if we're not actually sowing to the Spirit? Should we be surprised, yes or no? Obviously not. And so just, what are we making ourselves available to? And and maybe we can get a little bit more practical later on, but I think even now, maybe the Holy Spirit is just kind of helping us recognize, okay, if we were to evaluate the way we spend our time, if we were to evaluate the, the, the directions in which we allow our thoughts to travel, how much of our time, how much of our thoughts are invested in feeding the lion versus feeding the kitty? Maybe if we were just to be very, very honest, we would recognize areas in which we've been starving the spirit, but we've been feeding the flesh all along. Let's go to the second passage. So we've, we've gotten the fruit of the spirit from Galatians chapter 5, but now I want us to go to John chapter 15. Because if we're looking at bearing fruit, John chapter 15 challenges us not just to bear fruit, but to bear much fruit. Let's take a look. John chapter 15. So you're in Galatians, go to the left. John chapter 15, and see if we can make efficient work of this. John chapter 15, fourth book of the New Testament, when you are there, say amen. Amen. All right, John chapter 15, I'm going to start in verse 1. Jesus now is speaking. He's talking to his disciples. He's about to, just in in a few hours, he's going to be arrested, taken to, to the courts, He's going to be crucified in just a little while. And so he's giving his last instructions to his disciples. And he talks about this this analogy of vine and branches. And here he starts, verse 1. The Bible says, I am the true vine. Jesus is speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Meaning he's he's the farmer that's taking care of the grapevine. Now, I've never tried to raise grapevines. Anybody in here? Uh, tried to raise, okay, yeah. So I hear it takes lots and lots of skill, lots and lots of time and patience. Is this true, yes or no? Yeah? Okay. Well, you can correct me later, I guess. But here, God, uh, Jesus is describing his father as the one who has great care over the vineyard. And in verse 2, notice, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So there's this experience of bearing no fruit at all, and he says, He takes it away. Every branch that bears fruit, so then there are some that do bear some fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Do you see the progression? Jesus is talking about an experience of having no fruit at all, to having some fruit, to having more fruit. 
But then in verse 5, he's not just content with more fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So we're looking at the experience of the Christian who is wanting to bear the fruit of the Spirit, wanting to bear the, the likeness of Christ's character, but maybe there are some of us on this spectrum where we find ourselves with no fruit at all. Christ's character cannot be found. Oh, there's no fruit. But God wants to take us from no fruit to some fruit, some fruit to more fruit, more fruit to much fruit. Now, how does he do it? How does he do it? This is very critical. I want us to take a look at this. In verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Okay, so there's the fruitless branch. What does the vine dresser do to the fruitless branch? What does your Bible say? Cuts it off. Okay, mine says takes away. What's interesting is that when you look at the Greek word, the Greek word is airo, which can actually be translated lift up. Does that change things a little bit? It's not a picture of a vine dresser who says, oh, this branch is useless. Get out. No. It's a vine dresser that says, hey, this branch is connected to the vine. Who's the vine? Jesus. This branch is connected to Jesus, but it's not bearing the character of Jesus. What can I do for it? And here the vine dresser actually takes it up, lifts it up. You see, the thing about vines is that they tend to hang low. The branches, the, the, these branches tend to hang low, and if you hang low, then you're in the shade. If you're in the shade, if you're covered, then you don't get the sunshine, and you don't get the moisture that comes from rain. You're not giving yourself the best chance or for, to experience life, to, to bear fruit. And so what does the vine dresser do? vine dresser picks it up, separates it from the ground. Often, you know, little tendrils from the branches might, might try to gain nourishment from the ground itself rather than from the vine itself. So it removes it from any competition. <whistles> Lifts it up so it has best exposure to those things that make for life. And as a result of of this lifting action of being taken up, we go from no fruit to some fruit. Amen! The Father is a faithful vine dresser. He knows how to be responsible for his branches. And then it says, in the rest of verse 2, it says, every branch that bears fruit, okay, so this is the some fruit stage, he does what? Prunes. Now, this isn't talking about what happens to your fingers if you've stayed in the swimming pool too long, right? Okay. okay, never mind. <clears throat> this is talking about pruning. This is talking about clipping that foliage that is unnecessary. Why? It's so pretty. Green leaves. But it's not fruit. It's, it's, it's clipping away those things that are really sapping the life energies of, uh, from, from the branch and from the vine, but are really having no productive uh, output of the character of Christ. Now, when you talk about this action of pruning, you realize that that involves some sharp instruments, right? And again, this involves some pain, but it's powerful. You realize that surgery hurts, but it's supposed to heal. 
And so here, the, the faithful vine dresser is actually, uh, he's investing in ourselves in such a way that even though it hurts, he's really intent on our health. And he prunes. Has anybody been feeling the pruning knife of the vine dresser lately? I don't know, maybe this is a sensitive subject. But the reality is that God is not always the author of pain and misery in our life. There is a great controversy that takes place. But even though he may not author that pain, even though he may not author that misery, he, as the vine dresser, knows how to use it for our health and healing. There's a, a, a writer, an author, who is commenting on this passage in John. His name is Tom Wright, and he says this, The vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought about its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. Wow. He's thinking about what's going to be best in the long run. He's thinking about what is absolutely necessary for life so that you can not just bear some fruit, but more fruit. And this is the work of God himself. This is what he himself is responsible for. And I would say that this corresponds to exactly what Paul was talking about in Galatians, crucifying the flesh. These first two moves of the vine dresser, lifting us up from things that compete, pruning and, and knifing away those things that are not for our best interest. This is what I think Paul is talking about, crucifying the flesh with its desires and lusts. And now, as a result of this pruning process, we go from no fruit to some fruit, some fruit to more fruit. And then when you start reading verse 4 and 5, four, verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. Now Jesus is actually giving us instruction. This is the first thing that we ourselves are responsible for. Jesus, or the Father has done the lifting up. The Father has done the pruning. But here is the instruction. You abide. You abide. And this is the means by which we transfer from more fruit to much fruit. Let's read it again. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears pitiful amounts of fruit in the end. No. <laughs> It's because we abide in Jesus that we are able to bear not just some resemblance of the likeness of Christ, but that we are able to bear much fruit, fruit of the Spirit, fruit of a Christ-like life. And it's through abiding. Uh, maybe we're not familiar with the meaning of abiding. To abide means to stay. It means to, to change your address. Your permanent address is now in Jesus. <laughs> It's not that you have mail forwarded to somewhere else. That, no, 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 no. It's you are there to stay put. You endure. You remain in Jesus. And the very fact, the very fact that Jesus has to instruct us to remain, I mean, he's done a lot of effort, right? He's done a lot of effort to make sure that we're lifted up. We're connected to the vine. We're lifted up. We're connected to the vine, and he prunes us. But now he instructs us to abide, to stay put. Why? Why would he have to instruct us about that? It's because our natural tendency is to not stay put. Our natural tendency is a touch-and-go experience with Jesus. 
But here he's instructing now, abide. And if these first two moves of the vine dresser of lifting up and pruning, if that corresponds to what Paul was talking about as the crucifixion, you know, consecration via crucifixion, if that's that painful aspect that he himself is responsible for, then maybe this abiding that we're responsible for corresponds to what Paul was talking about as sowing to the Spirit. Making ourselves available to the Spirit. Directing our thoughts and attentions and energies according to the things that are of the Spirit and not of the flesh. Are are we tracking that together, yes or no? So the question is, how many of us want to bear fruit of a Christ-like character in our lives? Maybe the better question is, how how many of us not just want to bear some or even more, how many of us want to bear much fruit for the kingdom? Amen. And this comes, yes, it comes through a painful process. Yes, it comes through a very intentional process of abiding, of sowing to the Spirit. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And this is what happens when we are filled with His Spirit. This morning I read something in a devotional called My Life Today. On page 57 of My Life Today, it says this, If all were willing to receive, all would be filled with the Spirit. How willing are we today, huh? But then the next sentence really grabbed me. We are too easily satisfied with a ripple on the surface when it is our privilege to expect the deep moving of the Spirit of God. Maybe some of us are too satisfied with, okay, I've got some fruit. Maybe some of us are are not willing for that knife to come our way. When in reality, that pain, that tribulation, though God may not author it, He may use it to prune and produce even more for His glory. We are too easily satisfied with a ripple on the surface when it is our privilege to expect the deep moving of the Spirit of God. With the reception of this gift, the the gift of the Holy Spirit, with the reception of the Spirit, all other gifts would be ours. For we are to have this gift according to the plentitude of the riches of the grace of Christ, and He is ready to supply every soul according to the capacity to receive. Then, let us not be satisfied with only a little of this blessing. (sighs) If I were to put the mirror up, (laughs) am I satisfied with just a taste of the Spirit? Am I satisfied with just a plate full of the fruit of Christ's character? Or do I want basket loads (laughs) of the fruit of the Spirit in my life? then let us not be satisfied with only a little of this blessing, only that amount which keeps us from the slumber of death. Ooh. Let us diligently seek for the abundance of the grace of God. Here's the question. What will you do to seek not just a ripple, but the deep movings of the Holy Spirit in your life? What will it take? Will it take being lifted up? Maybe you've been clinging to the ground. <laughs> Maybe you've not been in a position where where you've allowed the the sunshine and the rain to fall upon you. Maybe you've been fearful of the pruning. Or maybe you've been resisting the pruning. Or maybe you've taken that pruning as 
as evidence that God is not working in your life, when in reality it's evidence that he wants to do even more in your life. What will we do to seek not just a ripple, but the deep movings of the Holy Spirit? Maybe today you're sensing that God wants to do this lifting up work. Maybe you're sensing that that he wants to lift you or remove you from things that are obstructing the very life forces that he has made available to you. Or maybe you're sensing that he needs to prune something, that he needs to sever aspects in our lives that are actually drawing life from us rather than giving life to us. And if that's your hand, if that's your desire, then maybe just as a symbol of that, that being lifted, maybe you would just lift your hand to say, God, please crucify the flesh. (laughs) If that's your desire, to be lifted up so that you can not just bear some, but more. Yeah, amen, amen, amen. Maybe there are some of us here today that we realize, okay, look, that's God's work. Only he can lift us up, amen. (laughs) Only he can prune, only he can crucify the flesh. But maybe there are some things that you and I are very well responsible for. We've been sowing to the flesh. We've been, we haven't been intentional about starving the lion. Maybe there are things that that we can do more intentionally in our lives to abide, to stay put. You know, there are things, these gatherings of worship, uh, coming to church on Sabbath, that is a a method of abiding, I would say. Now, it it doesn't mean that this is going to cause you to bear fruit. No, it puts you in a position in which you can be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Prayer meetings, for example. Small groups. Yes, we can go to these things, but it's, it's not those things that cause you to bear fruit. It's by going to those things or being a part of those things that you are now in a position to abide. It's the Holy Spirit that bears the fruit. Amen? It's not some preacher. It's not some gathering. It's not some small group study. But it is those things that the Spirit uses to cause us to abide more deeply. Now the question is, well, what are those things that the devil uses (laughs) that cause us to separate more constantly. Again, I'll ask that question. If you were to take an inventory of your time, if you were to take an inventory of the train of your thoughts and just make like a a pie chart (laughs) of how much of your time and how much of your thoughts have gone either one way or the other, uh, starving the lion or feeding the lion. (laughs) If we were sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit, we realize, oh, 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 God, I have not been intentional. I'll tell you what, as a young person, I, I realized this early on, but I didn't do very much about it. Um, for me, it was TV and media, movies. These things may not necessarily be evil. But it's by those things that I was actually sowing more to the flesh than to the spirit. I'm just being very real with you. Is that okay? And I've realized that even though, look, even though it may not sabotage spiritual life altogether, I've recognized that for me, I cannot continue to make myself available to this for hours on end and expect that God will bear fruit through my life. 
And so I'm going to make a very specific appeal about this. Look, some of us are, are, are recognizing, yeah, we need to abide more deeply. Well, if I'm going to abide more deeply, if I'm going to sow more to the Spirit, that means I have to sow less to something else. Right? Let's be real with this. I, I don't want to be content with just some fruit or more fruit. I want much fruit. And so what is it going to cost? It's going to take abiding. That's not something that God is going to do for us. That's something that we intentionally allow to happen. Will I sow to the Spirit or sow to the flesh? Sow to the Spirit or sow to the flesh? Friends, if it's your desire to sow more to the Spirit (laughs) and not to the flesh, if it's your desire to be intensely intentional, to actually let God instruct you about how to do it, maybe for you it is media. Maybe you need to sow less to that so that you can sow more to Him. Whatever it is, if you desire to sow more to the Spirit and less to the flesh, would you just stand with me as an affirmation of that? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I want us to bow our heads together and recognize that this isn't just like some group think thing going on. That this is a, a real prayer and a confession to God. And so let's bow our heads. Father, today we're just recognizing that apart from you, we can do nothing. Bearing a Christ-like character is something you long to do in us, not just in a ripple sense, but in a deep moving of the Spirit sense. And Lord, if we were to be very honest, we're, we're allowing your word to cut to our hearts. There are ways in which we have been sowing to the flesh unknowingly. Or maybe we have just been lax in sowing to the Spirit, and thereby we haven't been giving you a chance at all. And so, Lord, right now we're standing because we long to abide. We long to abide so that your spirit can take over. Father, again, we we recognize today that only you can crucify the flesh. Only you can lift us up. Only you can prune us. And Lord, when it comes to intentional ways that we can abide more deeply, consistently, frequently, Lord, then we pray that you would instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. Thank you for the 40 days of prayer that is coming up. And Lord, we know that this isn't going to be our Savior, but if this is an opportunity through which we can more deeply abide, then that's what we want to do. So I pray for each of those who have signed up or who are going to sign up, and I just ask God that you would really move in a very real way and cause us to abide, cause us to bear much fruit. Father, we want to reveal the presence of the Spirit in our lives not for our sake, but for others. And so, we're standing today, giving you the green light. Holy Spirit, have your own way with us. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today, right after potluck, we're going to be meeting back here in the sanctuary for those who are signed up or want to sign up for the 40 days of prayer. We have the books that you have pre-ordered. If we need to order more, we can do that too. But we'll be meeting, we'll aim for two-ish, maybe 2.15 here in the sanctuary to get that started. God bless you, friends.